Good morning. I am thrilled to be with you this morning. Um, it wasn't, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Um, back the first part of July when we moved back from New Jersey. A um, little confused, a little hurt, a um, little disappointed. God led us to Calvary Baptist Church, and I want to tell you, God has used Calvary Baptist Church to remind us of his goodness, to remind us of his graciousness toward us in Jesus Christ. And we love our church home, Calvary Baptist Church. And I am humbled by God's grace given toward me to be able to stand in this pulpit and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. We may sneak into 12 through 14, uh, but we're going to plan on hitting 1 through 10. And if you would, please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. See, Paul gets it right from the beginning, right? Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. He's telling us what the next 10 verses are going to be about. It's all about Jesus. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of resurrection, of his resurrection, and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Implant the truth of your word in our hearts this morning. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that the word finds good soil. That as it's planted, there are no weeds. It's not a stony place. But it's soil that's been prepared to receive your word. And that it will grow a hundredfold. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Paul writes Philippians chapter 3. And he's imprisoned in Rome. 
And it's about A.D. 61, 62 when he writes this letter to his favored church. If you look at uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2, you get the idea really quickly that Paul loves the church in Philippi. He has a deep love for them, but also Paul has a deep concern for them. And in his concern, especially in chapter 3, Paul answers a question that we're going to answer this morning. It's a question that our culture needs to know, and they need to know it by seeing the church live out the answer. And the question is, what does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean to be a Christian? And here's the answer that Paul gives in these 10 verses. If you want to take these 10 verses and kind of squeeze it all up into one answer, the answer would be this. A Christian supremely values Jesus out of a supreme love for Jesus. A Christian supremely values Jesus out of a supreme love for Jesus. A little bit simpler, you know you are a Christian when Jesus is the most important person in your life and you love him more than anyone else or anything else in your life. Jesus is most important. It's all about Jesus, friend, if you're a Christian. It's not Jesus and my family. It's Jesus. And through the power that Jesus gives me through his Holy Spirit, he helps me love my family. But when it all comes down to it, it's Jesus. Now Paul is talking to the Philippian church and he is using accounting words to talk about this. He uses words like gain. He uses words like loss. He is counting up what's important. And so when we look at this text today, we have to understand what it means to value something. Now, I don't know about you, but I like the History Channel, and I especially like American Pickers. Any American Pickers fans out there? You just, they, Mike, uh, Mike Wolf and Frank Fritz get in their little van, and they're and the whole kind of background of the show is that they just drive all over the United States trying to find stuff that's valuable that people have hidden away in their barns that they've totally forgotten that they have. It's not even there. And then Mike shows up, knows it's valuable, and he says, I'll give you $100 for it. And they're like, no, I'll take $400 for it. And it's been in the barn the whole time. They forgot it was there until Mike dug it out and wants to give them $100 for it, and they refuse it, right? Well, if you watch American Pickers, one of the things that you will walk away from that show is what it means to value something. The more valuable something is, the more Mike or Frank is willing to give for it. If something has no value, then neither Mike nor Frank are even interested in buying it. If it doesn't have any value, they're not going to give up anything for it. And every now and then, they'll, walk, they'll come across someone that they're really trying to buy something off of the person and they won't let go of it. It doesn't matter how much money you have, this is not for sale. And, and what does Mike say? He's, he says, what's the I don't want to sell it price? You remember him saying that? What's the I don't want to sell it price? And they said, nope, there's no price. In other words, that object is their treasured possession. The value is based on what something is willing to give in order to obtain something else. Look back at verse 2. 
Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, before Paul has to write about what it means to be a Christian, he has to expose a group of imposters that's infiltrated the church. These were um, super Christians, so to speak. They not only followed Jesus, but they thought a Christian had to follow all the Mosaic law, had to follow all the laws of the Old Testament, including being circumcised. And that's a problem, because what they have done is they have taken something that is not necessary for salvation, and they've made it necessary for salvation. Does that make sense? They've taken something that God has not said, you have to do this, and now these false teachers, these heretics, are saying, nope, for you to be saved, you've got to follow Jewish law. You have to take on circumcision. They were a threat to the gospel because they taught that faith alone and Christ alone was insufficient for salvation. Jesus wasn't enough. They were saying man's effort in what you do was just as equally valuable to what Christ had accomplished for you. Again, it's not just Jesus and what he's done, it's Jesus and. For them, it was Jesus and their religious ritual. It was Jesus and their cultural laws. See, this false religion taught that Gentile Christians had to accept the symbol of the Abrahamic covenant. And by doing so, they cheapened the gospel. However, in Christ, circumcision as a sign of the Abrahamic covenant is no longer necessary. We see in Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and whence you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul is saying it's not about circumcision. It's about baptism. Baptism is the symbol that we have that shows that we've united in the death of Christ. We've also been united in the resurrection of Christ, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. We even see that in our text today in uh, verse 3 of chapter 3. Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul has the answer to the question, has to answer the question, what does it really mean to be a Christian? Because there were lots of threats and a really big one infiltrating the church, teaching them something else. Friends, I'm telling you, no other time, I think, in our country, our students, our families, our lives are being bombarded with the false gospel of morality. And I want you to understand, morality doesn't mean what it used to be. Morality is not the same. Morality now is more about holding to a certain ethical standards that when you look at the Bible, you're like, there's nothing ethical about those standards. <laughs> when you read the scripture and then you look at the ethic that our culture is putting up for us as righteous and as good, you're looking at that and say, no, that can't be so because God's word says. And so there is a lot of pressure in our culture today, a lot of pressure 
in our culture today, but to be a Christian, and it's okay to be a Christian, but you've also got to accept this lifestyle, or you've got to accept this gender confusion. You've got to accept these, all these other things. Paul's having none of it. He says, if you are a Christian, if you're a Christian, I'm going to define it for you. And if you're going to be a Christian, there's some things that you have to value. Okay? So now I want you to think about Paul before Christ. He says it there, beginning back in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. And then he goes to list some things that he has confidence in. So before Paul met Christ, he highly valued the advantages of his family background. He's a tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He highly valued his personal accomplishments. He highly valued his social class. He was a Pharisee. He highly valued all his moral achievements. He said, according to the law, I'm blameless. He's not saying he was perfect, but he said as that, when that word blameless there, and especially in the context of the Old Testament, means that as much as it depended on him, he followed every part of the law. And Paul calls them gains. See, in our day and age, we may value other things, like our social media status or our popularity. And no, I'm not talking to the teenagers, by the way, when I say popularity, because even as an adult, you still care too much about what other people think about you. Okay? I know I do. I care oftentimes too much about what other people think. And it affects how I behave. It affects if I share the gospel or not sometimes, right? Have you ever wanted to share the gospel with someone, but you were afraid about what they would think about you if you actually got vocal with your faith? Then you are concerned about what people think. Concerned about your popularity? Are you concerned about your appearance? Or how about the latest smartphone technology? And you, for some people in this room, you're like, really? The smartphone technology? Well, just wait till the fall when the new phones start rolling out and pay attention to the news at the lines of people that are waiting to get the new device. They're just waiting to get it. They can't wait to get it. It's almost like their life is centered around getting that. See, those are things our culture highly values. Those are things that some of us would even highly value. But however, Jesus changed all that. Look back at verse 7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He said, indeed, I count. I looked at my watch, right? <laughs> I looked at my watch and lost my place in Scripture. The, the youth know that I will just, like, jump like that, so... Forgive me. Let me start back in verse 7. I've checked my watch. I didn't want to preach at 1225. So, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. When Paul encountered Christ, a complete recalculation of his assets occurred. Everything he previously thought was an asset, a gain, he then counted, past tense, he's thinking back, I counted then as loss. All my family background, all my moral achievement, my social class, all those things that were important to me were then no longer important. And it's kind of like Mike and Frank showed up, right? And, and Paul, you know, showed them, hey, this is my life. 
And they said, ah, we don't want to buy it. <laughs> it wasn't Mike and Frank, though. Paul pulled up all of his personal accomplishments and all the good that he thought he had done, and he showed it to Jesus. You know what Jesus said? Eh, it's not worth anything. There's no value in that. Not when it comes to saving faith. See, human effort in comparison to Christ is nothing but a worthless reproduction. It's nothing but a worthless reproduction. Paul continues in verse 8. Look back. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Look at verse 8. He goes from counted in verse 7 to verse 8. Now he counts. He's in the present tense now. And he has progressed from counting those things about him as lost to now he has progressed to he counts present tense everything as lost everything as lost there is nothing in paul's life now that he is holding on to that he is holding on to that even compares to jesus christ that even compares to jesus christ if you want to know what does it mean to be a christian you put it all away and you trust in Jesus Christ by faith alone in Christ alone. Remember what we said about value. Value is based on what someone is willing to give up in order to obtain something. And you can see that Paul supremely values Jesus because Paul is willing to give up everything for knowing Jesus. And he calls that a surpassing value. He calls Jesus a surpassing value. What he's done, Christ is here and everything else in his life is somewhere way far away from Jesus. Not even close. Not even comparable. And I'm telling you, as a dad, sometimes, you know what my kids do? They creep up, right? And I start to treasure them almost like I treasured Jesus. And because, you know, two of them are teenagers, I'm reminded very quickly that not to do that, right? It's a joke. All right? So you get what I'm saying. That there's no, no thing that we should ever value as much as Jesus. Nothing even approaches how amazing Jesus is. Look at the second half of verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Here's the second half. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So Paul has either had everything taken away from him or he's given it all away and Paul is not sitting around pouting about it. He is in chains and he is rejoicing in his Lord. See, Jesus has turned Paul's life upside down. Everything that Paul thought was most important in his life is now, compared to Christ, the least important. And Paul says he counts it all Everything, everything, Paul says he counts as rubbish. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Rubbish? We don't use that word. Do you use rubbish at your house? I don't use rubbish at my house. We don't have rubbish day at my house. Kids, it's time to take out the rubbish. Who has the rubbish chore for this week? I mean, do you guys talk like that yet? I don't talk like that in my house. I don't use the word rubbish, but I do use the word trash. The NLT uses, the New Living Translation uses garbage. The New American Standard uses rubbish. The King James Version, you can always expect the King James Version not to be politically correct. And it says dung. Okay? Not politically correct at all. 
I think the exact phrase was, and do count them but dung. That's totally King James. But the real meaning of this word is waste. And it is waste, and it is specifically human waste. And there's one thing you don't want to build your life around, church, is human waste. You just don't want to build your life around that. Now, you could imagine Paul valuing Christ more than anything else if Paul was in a 10,000 square foot home. He's not. He's in prison. You can imagine Paul saying Jesus is most valuable if he's riding this from a private jet or if he's clicking it out on his iPhone X while sitting in his high-end BMW. But you know what? He's not even writing this letter out on his iPhone 6 from the comfort of a Chrysler minivan, which is where a good section of this sermon came from as I was waiting to pick up Rebecca this week, writing down my thoughts. You know, I'm clicking it out there and the, waiting to, re, to pick her up, and Paul doesn't even have that comfort. Paul is in prison, and he is writing that his most valuable asset is knowing Jesus. And the amazing thing about him saying that is, why is Paul in prison? Jesus. Why is Paul in prison? Paul's in prison because of Jesus. He's preaching Christ. The Roman government doesn't like it. They just don't. And he ends up in prison because of it. See how opposite from the world Paul's thinking is? See, our culture would say, if preaching Jesus gets you in trouble, stop preaching Jesus. You can just live it out. You don't have to use words, just use your life. And then, on the, you know, just in case if somebody says, man, you're happy all the time. Why are you happy all the time? You could say, it's because of Jesus, but shh, don't tell anybody. You see, that's how our culture tells us. Don't talk about him, or you may lose your job. Don't talk about him, or you may lose your position. I mean, I'm not going there. I almost said something, and I didn't. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, however, for Paul, knowing Jesus is surpassing value, knowing Jesus is worth more than anything the world could offer him. And so, you have to kind of ask your question, why does Paul, why does Paul value knowing Jesus so much? I mean, he's in prison. Jesus has got him there. I mean, Jesus is sovereign. He's God. He's in control of all things, and yet he's sitting in prison. Why does Paul value knowing Jesus so much? Well, it's a truth. Knowing Jesus, once you really get to know Jesus, that means you really start to love Jesus. Knowing Jesus is loving Jesus, and affection increases value. You understand what I'm saying? Affection for something increases the value. So now I brought something. Anytime there's an important day for me, something really important, I try to slip this in my pocket. Okay? Try to slip this in my pocket. Um, this is my granddaddy Jones's pocket knife. Okay? Now, why would I put my granddaddy, why do I treasure this? I treasure this because it belongs to my granddaddy. Okay, and it's not a good luck charm. I don't believe in luck. But what this does, it reminds me of a man who faithfully served his church for over 40 years. You know, and I kind of want to set that as my example. This pocket knife right here, you know, you couldn't give me $1,000 for it. It's probably only worth a couple of dollars, but you couldn't give me $1,000 for this. You know why I value this? Because of who it belongs to. 
This is my granddaddy's pocket knife. Why? And it reminds me of my granddaddy, and it reminds me of so much. See, I value it because I love it, and I love it because it's connected to someone I love, and Jesus is about the only one, I think, who could get this pocket knife for me. If Jesus came and said, William, i got to have your pocket knife, I'd say, well, I count everything as lost for the surpassing value of knowing you, Jesus Christ, my Lord, so there you go. I will give it to Jesus, but no one else in this room gets it. And Paul supremely values knowing Jesus because, love, because Paul loves Jesus supremely. You know what a Christian does? A Christian supremely values Jesus because a Christian supremely loves Jesus. That's what real faith looks like. We value him because we love him. So then you'd have to ask the question, well, why does Paul loved Jesus so much. Paul loved Jesus supremely because Jesus died on the cross for Paul. And a Christian loves Jesus supremely because we know that Jesus died for us. Flip back one page to Philippians chapter 2. Look there in verse 6. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Though he was God, he did not think Equality with God is something to cling to. And that's the reason why I'm using this translation, because I like how it uses some of these words clinging to, holding on. You get the picture of Christ not holding on to something. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. You see the concept there, giving up something? You see what Jesus did? He gave up his divine privileges. It's like Paul understands Jesus was counting something as loss for something greater. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus Christ left the, left the most perfect condition. No sin, nothing ugly, everything's beautiful. He became a man. He left knowing everything and as a boy had to learn how to walk. You understand what I'm saying? He left it all and had to come down to earth and just learn basic things, how to walk, how to talk. Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's the surpassing value. You see it there in Philippians 2.6. Jesus gave it up. He gave it all. He came down. He became a man. Died a criminal's death on the cross. That's counting as loss for the surpassing value of being elevated above every other name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Paul loves Jesus because he saw what Jesus was willing to leave so that Paul could be saved. Friend, I'm telling you, if you follow Jesus, you follow Jesus because he left heaven's glory, came down, lived as a man, died on a cross, a criminal's death that he did not deserve so that you, so that I could trust in him and be found in him, not having our own righteousness, but having the righteousness of God based on faith. Amen. 
Paul sees the pattern of Christ and follows that example. See, a Christian loves Jesus supremely, not only because he died for us, but also because we know that he did it for us, and yet we don't deserve it. That's kind of the argument that Paul's making here. All of those things that you would try to do in the flesh to impress God, whatever family background you're from, whatever your social status is, whatever successes you've had in life, whatever position you hold in our culture, all of that does not get you any closer to God. It does not get you one millimeter closer to God. It gains you no standing before God. In fact, when Paul counts it as a loss, it's almost as if he's saying, you know, it kind of hinders you a little bit. You know why it hinders you a little bit? Because you start thinking it gets value. You start, you start thinking it's important. You start thinking that, well, God, you know, you love me because, you know, I serve in the baby nursery and nobody serves in the baby nursery. You know, God, you love me because I fill in the blank. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. For while we were weak, not while we were strong, while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ doesn't wait for us to clean up before he dies for us. He doesn't. He doesn't wait for you to get all of your ducks in a row. God doesn't wait for the right time. What God does is says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's what God does. He says that. Come to me when you're weary, when you're heavy laden, when things are not going right and I will give you rest. And God doesn't want our best. He died for our worst. God doesn't want our best. He died for our worst. In his death, Jesus humbly served us. And because he died for our sins, while we were still sinners, we're not worthy of such a display of love. And that's why it's grace. And Paul gets that. Paul understands that. That's the reason why Paul supremely values Jesus compared to everything else. That's why Paul supremely loves Jesus compared to everything else, because he knows what Christ has done for him. In 1707, Isaac Watts wrote a hymn. It's called, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Now, I'm a Baptist, so I'm not going to do all four verses. Okay? You, you've been there with the hymn book. We're going to do first, second, and fourth, and third verse never gets sung, right? So we're not going to do all the verses, but just listen to this. When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and for contempt on all my pride. Next verse. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. You see what he's saying? He's counting it all as loss. Everything as loss. Down to the last verse. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were present far too small, 
love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. My all. The love of Christ demands our all. And why does it demand our all? Because he gave all so that we could be reconciled to him. A Christian loves Jesus supremely because Jesus died on the cross and because we know we didn't deserve it. But a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? A Christian also loves and values Jesus supremely because of what Jesus has provided for us. And Paul tells us in this in uh, chapter 3, in these verses, that he's provided two essential things, two things that we must have that we cannot get on our own. We're going to take a running shot at it back in verse 8. Paul likes really long sentences, so we're going to go back to verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Last section, not having a righteousness of my own. See, Jesus has given us something, given us something we could never get on our own. The first thing he's given us is the righteousness of God. Receiving the righteousness of God is important because it really is the only way that we can have communion with God. See, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, that relationship, intimate, personal relationship, God's walking in the garden, there in the garden, God's created this environment, they're in his presence, and when they sinned, that relationship broke. They no longer had any type of righteousness at all. Christian knows that the only way that we can have a, per, a personal connection with God is through Christ giving us God's righteousness. And that's something that has to be given to us. And Jesus dying in our place has made that righteousness available to us. We just receive it by faith. And the righteousness of God is a very common theme with Paul. One example, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, him who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could possess something. What is that possession? The righteousness of God. Church, because Jesus so willingly gave of himself, we also must be eager to give of ourselves. You hear what I said? Because he's given of himself, we have to be, we have to give of ourselves. The desire to count it all as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus is proof that we are not counting on our own effort anymore. 
it's proof that we have the righteousness of God. Because apart from God, people don't typically, apart from God, people don't typically go to prison for something they don't really believe in. You understand? Paul's not going to prison in order to gain something. Paul is in prison because of what he's already gained. See, God's righteousness is needed for restoring our relationship with God. And as a Christian, you know when doubt starts to sneak in a little bit? Doubt starts to sneak in when our priorities start to slide back to the way they are in the rest of the world. And we start looking at our lives and we start to think, hey, you know, there really isn't any difference between me and my neighbor except my activities on Sunday are different. But what I value and what I treasure pretty much are the same. When you start counting things as assets that should be counted as losses, friend, what happens is you start to question, do I really, really know Jesus? But see, when you have the righteousness of God and you really are trusting Jesus, you really are following Jesus, what the world thinks, again, flips on top, and that which the world values, you don't value. And why do you have that desire? Because the righteousness of God has been given to you, imputed, charged to your account. So it gets better. Not only does Jesus make the righteousness of God available for us, he also makes resurrection power available. It's good to have the righteousness of God. That's good for this life. But do you know without the resurrection power of God, there is no eternity to come? Without the resurrection power of God, there is no hope of heaven. Resurrection power is needed to reverse the curse of death that our sin has caused. Look back at verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul doesn't seem scared to die to me. He just doesn't. His, cir his circumstance right now is not bothering him. He doesn't seem to me in reading Philippians that he's concerned about dying. Look back at chapter 2. Look at verse 19. Ah, oh, it's the passage that, that Brandon just read. Let's not go to 19. Let's go to 20. Oh, let's see. I said chapter 2. I meant chapter 1. I was thinking, why is that the passage that Pastor Brandon just read? Because that doesn't make sense. So go back to chapter 1. Let's look at verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will, this will turn out his imprisonment for his deliverance. As is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Look at this phrase, whether by life or by death. Is death a big deal to Paul? No, it's not. Look down at verse 23. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. And what does he say? For that is far better. 
Paul's not concerned about dying. He does, dying doesn't concern him because he knows to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Death is just a transition from here to eternity. And he is eager to make that transition. It's not that Paul is just passive. Uh, if I die, if I live, uh, no. Paul is ready to be with Jesus. He, he, does, he does go on to say, hey, but you know what? I think Paul's going to, I mean, I think Jesus is going to deliver us because there's so much more work that we have to do. But Paul, at any point, is not scared of death. Dying is not a loss for Paul, it's a gain. When you have resurrection power as something that God has given you, given you, you go to a funeral with a different outlook than the atheist who has no hope. You look at a casket differently than the atheist who has no hope. See, when death is conquered and our relationship with God is restored, we get the joy of spending an eternity with God. What does it mean to be a Christian? A Christian supremely values Jesus out of a supreme love for Jesus because we know he has given us his righteousness and a future resurrection. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. What does that future resurrection look like? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away, he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Friend, if that doesn't make you love Jesus, I'm not sure you know him. Because he is a personal God that has restored our relationship with him. And for eternity to come, we get to experience his goodness, his joy, and his pleasure. So as we close out today, here's the question. And you've got to be honest with yourself. Because uh, when I asked myself this question in preparing this sermon, I didn't get the answer I was expecting. You ever ask a question expecting one answer? You know, and you got something completely opposite? <laughs> Here's a question. Do you love Jesus more than anyone or anything else? Is knowing him as a surpassing value make you really count? I mean, really? Look at your heart. Does it, do you really count everything as lost? Is there really a difference between you and your lost neighbor? Is there? Now, I'm not really talking about behavior. You know your heart. I'm talking about what you value, what you hold on to, what you cherish, 
what you treasure? Or do you need a rubbish day? You need a rubbish day? You need a day you can take out the trash? Well, good news, friend. Follower of Jesus, you can take that trash out right now. Just a moment, the music's going to play, and we're going to sing. And when we sing, Pastor Brandon and I will be standing down here. Christian, the altar is going to be open. The altar is going to be open. And if you just want to come down here and pray, just come down here and pray. If you don't want to get out of your altar, don't let that stop you from confessing to Jesus right here, right now, that you need to take out the trash. That you need to tell him that you've been valuing something more than him. Don't let guilt or shame keep you from doing right now, Christian, what you know you need to do. Close my Bible too early. Oh, man, he's opening it back up again. <laughs> no, this is worth it. Verse 12, here's the encouragement. Dear Christian, here's the encouragement. This is Paul writing this. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Amen. But I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus Christian, this morning you've dropped the ball. You're valuing whatever that is. What It could be a sin, it could be an object, it could be a good thing. But you have let the value of that creep up and it's approaching Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, for some reason, is not right now your surpassing value. At one time you counted as loss, but now you are not counting as loss and you need to take out the trash. As soon as the music plays, don't wait if you feel that way. You can come forward, leave it at the altar. You can do it right where you're seated. If you have trusted Jesus, you've counted all things lost in the past, but have slid back to where you used to be. Forget it. Put it behind you and press on. Forgetting what lies behind. Press on. Forgetting what lies behind. Jesus didn't die to um, move your sins. <laughs> he died to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That cleansing means it's gone. But maybe you're here this morning and you don't value Jesus at all. You don't have any recognizable affection for him at all. In fact, everything that I've been talking about this morning just really doesn't make much sense to you. But for some reason, you've got a curiosity inside. You just want to know a little bit more. Just want to know a little bit more about this Jesus guy. Who's this guy you keep talking about, this Jesus guy? Well, good news, friend. I'm going to be here. Pastor Brandon's going to be here. We're going to be down front. You want to know about Jesus? We can settle that today. We can tell you about his surpassing value today. Today you can repent and believe the gospel. So if you need to pray, the altar's open. If you want Pastor Brandon and me to pray with you, as soon as we start singing, come on down. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us to give us Jesus. Something we did not deserve. Something we didn't deserve. 
but yet you've freely given it to us. Thank you for giving us. Thank you for giving us Christ. Thank you for giving us your righteousness. Thank you for giving us resurrection power. Now, Lord, if there's anyone here that has business that they need to deal with you, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, compel them, Lord, to do it now. Don't wait. Do it now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.